We are living in, in a world that's really uh, paying too much attention to every other literacy, but not emotional. And emotions are what's driving us for everything. So developing this sort of emotional awareness, also not to run away from unpleasant emotions, to be able to sit with unpleasant emotions and actually try to learn from them. It's a slow medicine. It's a medicine of the future. On the show today, we'll be discussing the current state of health at GP clinics. Most patients are presenting with lifestyle diseases and it's increasing. The health system funding promotes fast appointments, sometimes 15 minutes, and it's unsustainable. Fast medicine is quick, it's convenient, but there's just not enough time to find the cause of the lifestyle disease and empower the patient to improve. So their lifestyle disease remains. So what can we do? Well, today we've got lifestyle medicine GP, Dr. Ivana. She has described the patient-GP interaction as almost like a dance, an art form that she's been developing. She is passionate about providing comprehensive assessment of patients, 45 to 60 minutes, enough time to see the patient as a whole, to provide an individualized approach, cultivate emotional awareness, and empower patients to live the healthy lives they desire. Hey everyone, this is the Health Network Podcast. It's a space to connect all different health professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. It's also a podcast to empower listeners to prevent health problems. And I'm your host, Dr. Marcus. How did you become a GP? Okay, so that was many, 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 many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, there are probably a million reasons, like everything else in life. There are so many different reasons why you choose something. But now looking back, I think it was really what my great passion even nowadays is about medicine. And it's just seeing the whole person. So not just dealing with one single problem at a time, because I don't believe one problem is in isolation. I think really everything is linked and just seeing the whole person, the person within a family and society and the whole culture, that's what really interests me. So that's why I became GP. I wasn't thinking that way many, many, many years ago, <laughs> probably, but now in hindsight, I think that was really driving me from somewhere deep inside. Yes. And so you initially were a GP in Yugoslavia? No, actually, I graduated uh, medicine in Yugoslavia. And then this war, I don't know, are you aware of the war that mm -hmm. happened in Yugoslavia many, many years ago? So that prompted me and my young family to actually leave Yugoslavia. So I just graduated and uh, I just started working before I was actually going into any specialty. And then we left and we went to New Zealand. We spent 13 years in New Zealand and that's where I became GP. Ah, yes. And then what prompted you to come to Australia? Again, million different reasons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the major reasons was, I think, it's just, we thought at the time that it would be a bigger and better opportunities for kids. Mm -hmm. And that's why we moved. There are many other reasons as well, but let's say that was one. Yes. Of the okay, good. And then also you have spoken before about generational guilt in terms of the generations today and a lot of the lifestyle diseases and that you want to yeah, make a difference and increase awareness. So what do you mean about that? Okay. Uh, that generational guilt I mentioned in our previous conversation. Oh, yeah. And um, 
I don't really feel guilty, but yes. why I mentioned that generational guilt is because recently I, I, I become aware of lots of anger inside of me because of all this COVID situation and lockdowns and divisions, the division that's happening between people who is for vaccination, who is against vaccination, who wants to be free, who doesn't care that we're in lockdown. So all these things are just dividing people. And I just become very, very aware of anger inside mm. of my own self. Yes. And that's why when we had that conversation about that last time, I mentioned the generational guilt because I think I think we are living, my generation is living this world in a very big mess. Hmm. And that's why I said, you know, there is a bit of generational guilt and some sort of responsibility that I still want to do something to contribute somehow. I mean, this will sound a little bit big statement, but I don't want to leave the, the world in such a mess behind myself. So I want to do a little bit to make it better because I think we've been, we've, we humans been abusing this planet for such a long time mm. without any planning and thinking about future generations in a proper way. And that's why we are now. Yes. So that's, any... that's my generation. Yes. Are there particular things you're concerned about for the younger generation? So I think you touched on like environment, but then also in terms of like lifestyle. Environment, environment mostly. I mean, we are living this planet in a very big mess and we are just not uh, using resources properly and all these things about global warming and and it all comes down to, to lifestyle because people, people individually don't live bad lifestyle, don't have a bad lifestyle. They don't have bad lifestyle choices because people are mean or stupid or this or that it's just it's it's been reinforced to all of us actually we are just uh, conditioned in a way for generations to to crave for more for bigger for faster world and we are all enjoying fast food and everything that's convenient and it's just it's just not it's not sustainable and that's why I think we are here now. So it's in, on individual level, but in, on a big global level, uh, it's the same issue. Yeah, And that's why lifestyle medicine is also something that's my passion because it's working with one individual. I think you can actually make some, some changes because every single individual is then having the triple effect on people around him or her. And that's where changes are starting on a little level, small level. Yes. Was there a moment when you first realized that you were really like passionate about lifestyle medicine and what prompted you to go on that quest? I can't say it was a moment that I can't say it was a moment that I realized that. But when I come across that association, Australasian Lifestyle Medicine Association, when I come across that group of like-minded professionals, that was wahoo moment when I said, oh my God, this is my tribe, you know, this is yeah. what I really want to do. This is what I'm doing. But now I see there are other people who are thinking like me. So that was maybe that moment. Yeah. And do you probably see a lot of lifestyle diseases amongst your patients and want to help benefit them? Oh, absolutely. I think 90% uh, of presentation to general practice is chronic conditions mm. and chronic conditions are issues that are arising from wrong lifestyle choices, wrong way of how we eat, how we move, how we relate to 
ourselves and people around us and the planet around us and how we sleep. Mm. So I think I'm talking about primary care, about general practice uh, patients, you know, just ordinary people going to a GP. Yes. And how, how did you find the lifestyle medicine like program? It was, it was by accident a couple of years ago. I just come across uh, this organization and then I attended their conference and uh, then I set that exam and now I'm just fellow of, of, of that association. Oh, yes. Great. And yeah, a lot of people, when they have to take a lot of medications, then they might not want to do that. And then they'll look towards a holistic approach, but then sometimes the holistic approach, people think that it's not like modern medicine and it's not as effective. So it's quite good having this lifestyle medicine association. Yes, uh, I think it's a big jungle out there. You know, people are, are left somewhere in the crack in between old-fashioned traditional medicine that's actually turning into a fast medicine. You know, you just go to a GP and you get your script or you get your referral. It's like a production line, which I think is absolutely not sustainable anymore. And that's not good medicine. So so you have that, that um, old-fashioned way of... Uh, fast medicine and then uh, because it's not uh, meeting the demands of chronic conditions people are turning around and trying to find some alternative options but then there is lots of alternative medicine uh, practitioners who are offering all sorts of alternative methods but some of them are really not scientifically backed then people can be lost in that world as well So that's why I think this way of medicine, which is open-minded medicine, that's also called maybe slow medicine, which I've just heard that term yesterday from a friend of mine, which is basically a medicine that's giving enough time to actually see the person as whole and then be very open-minded and see how you can actually meet demands of that person, taking into consideration what they want from you to help them to achieve better health but all the time being safe because you are practicing scientific methods. You are using evidence-based medicine. So that's some um, marriage in between traditional medicine and open-minded alternative. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds great to be able to see the whole person, but also know that it's evidence-based. Yes, yes. And so what patients do you benefit from the lifestyle medicine? And can some patients, can they get reversal or can it actually really improve a lot of their conditions like diabetes or other different conditions? Yes, definitely. Uh, People who are at uh, risk of developing chronic conditions like uh, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, wide range of mental conditions, anxiety, depression, lots of autoimmune conditions, Mm -hmm. they can benefit. When a person goes to a GP for a checkup and then you tell your patient that, yes, you have high blood pressure, your uh, weight is not in a very healthy range. You tell the person everything that that person already knows, and that's why that person actually come for a checkup. Mm. But it's important how you deliver that message, because you can deliver that message back and say, you are a bad person because you are lazy, you are not moving, and you are overweight, and here are the medications. So you, you take all these tablets, 
but you don't change the way how you live your life. So you are not empowering that individual to do anything for him or herself. But if that person go and you actually start working together to prevent development of lots of chronic conditions, then you can achieve a lot. Also, people who already developed these conditions can benefit greatly. And there is lots of evidence saying that lots of people can reverse diabetes. They can actually stop even blood pressure medications, which is a huge myth in the community thinking once you are on blood pressure medications, you own them forever. It requires lots of, lots of work together between practitioner and the patient and really meeting Human beings are extremely complex creatures. So it's, it's not one size fits all. You really need to know the person and see how their uh, emotional life and their practical circumstances and their genetic makeup all together are working against or for them. And then try to find a way how to help them to actually prevent conditions or reverse them back. I strongly believe that Everyone has a strong healing center inside own being. And it's really finding that healing center and then working together. Yes, great. And you mentioned autoimmune diseases. So is there a strong relationship with the lifestyle and autoimmune diseases? There is no strong, strong evidence that yes, 100% every single autoimmune disease is caused by lifestyle choices, no, but there is lots of supporting evidence saying that by changing your lifestyle, you can possibly reverse some of autoimmune conditions. One of them is diabetes. And also, yeah, with patients with um, mental health problems, anxiety and depression, that's another like lifestyle disease. And then what kind of lifestyle modifications could benefit? Uh, I personally also don't believe there is a division between mental and physical health. Yeah. I think we humans made that division probably from semantic reasons just to communicate easier. Hmm. But uh, one human being has a few, fa- many facets of, of him or herself. And one facet is a mental health and the other facet is physical health. So if you are physically unwell, of course, mentally, you cannot be well. Yes. And the other way around. Okay. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine, and I've never met a person who is personally physically well and mentally unwell or the other way around. It's, mm. yeah, it's great. That holistic approach with the evidence. And also a lot of patients, they might know like that I'm smoking and it's bad for me, or they might know that they love sweet things and it's like not good for them. They might have these lifestyle diseases. And so one thing is like knowing, but then how do you empower the patients to improve their lifestyle choices? As I said before, uh, no one wake up in the morning, decide I'm going to smoke because I want to destroy my lungs. <laughs> no one yeah. does that. Yeah. But all and the and majority of population in developed world know what's good and what's bad. We all know that smoking is not good for our lungs. We all know that fast food is not a healthy choice. We all know that we need to move more. We all know that we need to sleep ideally eight hours and to treat our bodies uh, and other people well. We all know these things, you know? So people are not making choices because there is a lack of knowledge or there is some mean intention. We are doing that most of the time because 
we are numbing ourselves and we are soothing ourselves and we are trying to find way out from very unpleasant fast world that we're all trapped in how do we empower patients to make these behavior modifications to improve their health I think the person needs to be ready to make some changes himself or herself. So that's usually, you know, during that very first conversation, you can make some sort of assessment where the person is on that range of readiness. We are all either ready or not ready. When we realize there is something that has to be done, it might take some time before we actually ready to make some changes. So if the person is ready, then you really need to take this biopsychosocial approach, which means you really need to do assessment of the physical body, of mental uh, and psychological part of that person in a wide world, which means social environment, and then try together individually for every single person to see, to tap into their values and their Mm -hmm. meaning and what's really driving them, why they want to change something, what's important to them, and then help them to make the plan. You do nothing for them. You just hold the space mm. and you help them to actually find a way, what's the, their way, what's, the, what's, the, what's workable for them, how to make certain changes. Yeah. It's very sensitive. It's like dance. I like to think of that like a dance. It's dance, you know? Yeah. And that's what makes this this work very beautiful. Mm. Sometimes extremely frustrating, but on the other hand, extremely rewarding when you are actually seeing the movement. Mm. It's similar to like motivational interviewing where you're asking a lot of questions to work out where the person's at and then asking questions to work out their values and and then allowing them to like live the life that they want to live. And Mm. in this fast paced world, there are a lot of things which can make, it can be more convenient and more unhealthy and they might make decisions which they might not really like, but it's allowing them to see all this. Yeah. The big part of that is also working on emotional literacy, on emotional awareness, because we also live in a world I'm talking about Western world. We are are living in in a world that's really uh, paying too much attention to every other literacy, but not emotional. (laughs) And emotions are what's driving us for everything. So developing this sort of emotional awareness, helping the person to actually sit with own emotions, also not to run away from unpleasant emotions, to be able to sit with unpleasant emotions and actually try to learn from them. It's a slow medicine. Yes. And, and I think the slow medicine is the real medicine. It's a medicine of the future. <laughs> yeah, when you see patients, it must be very difficult to have enough time to look at their look at them holistically and their the mental and the physical and all of the different areas together. It must be I think a lot of the time today a lot of GPs they'd have very quick visits and they don't have enough time to look at all the causes and treat all the causes. So how can you do that for your patients? Yes, unfortunately, in Australia, Medicare system doesn't support that medicine at all. So uh, 15 minutes appointments are not enough for 
for that sort of medicine at all. So that's why I started a new clinic with three other colleagues who are all uh, thinking the same way. And we are really all thinking holistically. So we are really proposing uh, much longer appointments to be able to, to help people the right way. How long are the appointments roughly? We call that in Medicare system, you call 30 minutes appointment, long appointment. For me, that's a short appointment. I yeah. prefer 45 or 60 minutes appointments. Yeah. And, uh, and even then I feel I'm, I'm running out of time because we, we, I mean, how you, how you actually meet another person. Now we are having a conversation. I don't know how long we are talking now. And I think we are just scratching the surface and yeah. I'm feeling like, yeah. So, so I think uh, it's very important to uh, to allow longer appointments to be able to make some changes and do some movements. And I'm and also doing online medical consultations, and it's totally online. So this is separate from from my clinical work, which is uh, some sort of lifestyle medicine coaching. And for these sort of appointments, it's always one hour. I offer thirty minutes, but I end it. I, I end up always doing one hour with patients. Yes. And can it work from like a business model, like having like the longer appointments with the current like Medicare system? No. No. <laughs> That's the short answer. Yeah. No, it's not it's not very good business model. Yes. No. But that's why I'm lucky that I'm working with other uh, professionals, colleagues, and uh, we have very lovely practice manager and beautiful admin team. And uh, I'm really relying on them to, to do something about the business model <laughs> because mm. I'm not a very good business person. <laughs> I'm more passionate about working with patients about these yeah. things. But when it comes to business... I'm really lucky that I work with very great team of people. Yeah, mm. and you must have a lot of yeah happy patients wanting to come back. <laughs> I don't know about that. You have to ask them. Yes, <laughs> I don't know. Are they lucky? <laughs> and you're looking at starting um, an eight-week My Best Health program. Could you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, that's for my online business. I'm now at the moment working one-on-one -on -one with patients, but uh, I'm planning to do possibly from next year, eight-week program. Uh, so I just talked to my web designer yesterday about that, how we are going to to organize that, because I think it will take lots of, lots of organization. It's for people who actually want to do something about their general health, but they also have some tangible goals. For example, like somebody who wants to a person is realizing that uh, he or she is overweight and that's a big problem because they are developing slowly other medical conditions like hypertension, diabetes, uh, they are becoming depressed. So they're actually realizing that um, because of their big weight, they are jeopardizing their health and they need to do something. And for example, for these people, they, they do understand they need to do something. But if you decide together as a, as a team of a doctor and a patient to put some tangible goal that after eight weeks, you can see certain results, then usually give uh, patients, uh, a, a people, a huge uh, boost that uh, to actually adopt that new uh, created lifestyle forever. 
because they see certain results, they put certain marks, so we reach that goal at certain point in time, and now I see that I can actually do it, so I can live my life this way. And also, according to science, after eight weeks, roughly, uh, of developing new habit, that habit can become sort of second nature, so you don't need to rely on a willpower and all these unsustainable ways of living to 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 to. to to reach that goal, to to um, to live that, uh, to adopt that habit as your lifestyle. Yes. So there are very different reasons why we choose an eight weeks uh, frame, and it's not model for everyone. It's, but but for some people it can be a good um, good starting point. Mm. And for for listeners who might be aware that they might not have like the best habits, they might be having a lot of sugar or they might be in quite a fast paced lifestyle, then what's something that they can do like on a daily basis to improve like mindfulness and like positive psychology? Are there anything that you'd recommend? Uh, I think it's very individual. Uh, Every single person needs to ask him or herself, why do I want to change and why I want to change? Mm. And if there is a strong answer inside of you knowing why you want to change then there are many ways how you can do that Um, but i think a a good starting point for everyone would be actually to start creating some space and doing some mindfulness practice to actually go inside your own self to start exploring your own internal world to start exploring your emotions and your thoughts and giving some time and space to actually befriend your own self to to find the answer to that question why i want to change Mm -hmm. and so maybe like meditation Lots of people are scared when they hear the word meditation. So I'm using more word mindfulness. Yeah. But basically, it's all about emotional awareness. We live in a very fast world. And I think we really need to... uh, This COVID situation is actually pushing us to, to slow down. I know how unpleasant it is. I'm very, very angry myself and i feel very unpleasant because of all this situation but but it's reinforced on us to actually slow down and this is a great opportunity to to start practicing mindfulness and to start going inside and exploring our own self and i think that's a good starting point would you to start with if someone hasn't done it before would you recommend trying like a minute daily or is it what do you recommend I think it would be lovely to do like uh, whatever that person can stand to do because it's very foreign. It's very unpleasant for people who never done that before. So maybe just every morning to do uh, three to five minutes of slow breathing and observing your own brain activity, which means your own brain talking. And if you've never done that before, I'm telling you, that's a very interesting show <laughs> to listen. Yeah because it can be really, really unpleasant or boring or all sorts of difficult, different emotions can arise when you are sitting and just breathing and forcing yourself to breathe and to observe your own brain talking. It's amazing. There is a lot of negativity, a lot of frustration and anger when we're watching like the news and the updates and the COVID and 
then how can people like nurture like a more positive psychology? Are there any like tips or ideas? Positive psychology is not being positive all the time. Yes. Positive psychology means being aware of your own emotions okay. and being aware of even very unpleasant emotions, whatever is arising inside of your own body, your own self, just being able to sit with it and then explore and try to find out what your body or brain is trying to achieve or tell you with these strong negative emotions. Of course, if they are strong positive emotions, it's also important to be able to sit and explore them as well. Yes. It's coming to emotional literacy. Yes. In so per- language. So perhaps like some of the negative emotions might be telling us something which is positive always. in a way. Negative emotions are always telling us something and they're telling us in very different ways. And, and sometimes when that internal talk is never met from us, then it can turn into a physical disease. Mm. Lots of people can develop lots of physical conditions because of ignoring their internal emotional messages. Yes. Okay. And also, um, what is the future of health? What do you think? What do you see as the future? And what can we do to improve the future of health? I think this whole conversation was about that, isn't it? That's how I see that. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely not fast medicine. Yeah. It's not like fast fix. It's not like um, I'm going to a doctor to tell me what's wrong with me and then to fix me. I don't believe in that medicine. Yes. So it's about creating like a slower medicine and perhaps a better health system where we're not, people aren't funded based on those short 15 minute appointments. Yeah, I don't want to comment on that because it's a political sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely this model is not sustainable, is not, is not good. Yes. And so in terms of creating that slower medicine, then do you think maybe increasing awareness of it and having the consumer like wanting that lifestyle medicine approach, modifying their lifestyle instead of taking a lot of medications and a lot of side effects and getting sick? Yeah, it's just paying attention to our own self. Yes. It's paying attention to our own health. By paying attention to your own health, you're actually paying attention to health of your people, people around you, people that you love, uh, because you are also setting a, a very good role model to people in your family and in your community. And you are also learning how to treat your own self with respect. You cannot treat the other people without respect if you are treating yourself with respect. So that's a form of self-compassion. Also, that's another topic that we don't have time to talk about today, but it's all about compassion in medicine and uh, compassion in world and uh, compassionate communication. And it all starts from self-compassion. Yes. And that's self-respect. And so for listeners, then they're probably, would you encourage them to, rather than go in for like a quick 15 minute appointment to be able to go somewhere where they can have a more comprehensive approach. Yeah, I would say if you really value your own health, I encourage you to establish, to find, to explore, to visit few doctors, to find somebody that you feel that you can trust. And uh, then to actually 
spend some time exploring what what's your health status and what you can do to improve that health status somehow yes and also with this slow based medicine approach then because it can take a lot of time when you're doing the assessment then um, i've heard some people recommending having like a team-based approach and then like referring to a lot of different people like what kind of people do you um, refer to and integrate with what different professionals I think it's very important that you uh, refer people to professionals who are also very holistic and who are really seeing the big picture. So if you send somebody to dietitian, the dietitian is not only talking about calories and type of food. Of course, that's their niche, that's their uh, area of expertise, but they also need to cater that to that particular individual. You know so how how that per, how is how that person can actually understand this message and how that person can implement this message. So it's. Really Really important that uh, all professionals who are included in the in the care of that particular patient are uh, seeing the big picture. They are all holistic. They are all trying to approach uh, the issue from different angles. And so, with the lifestyle medicine approach, then what professionals like in the future will have like a lot of referrals in terms of you've mentioned like dietitians like nutritionists yes. and then also other areas of lifestyle what other yeah. areas for majority of chronic conditions it's a really teamwork between a general practitioner dietitian uh, exercise physiologist dentist chiropractor some people would like to try acupuncture then that person can be included a physiotherapist uh, so depending on that particular person but these are like psychologists mm. sometimes even social worker depending you know uh, that can be like a whole group of people but usually dealing with some depending where that person is along the journey like if you're talking about somebody who has established diabetes and obesity and hypertension that person would probably need a few members to be included and also mentioning all that family members or friends, the, the natural environment where the person live their own life is extremely important part of the whole group. Yeah, I've never really heard. I've never really thought about that, but it makes a lot of sense. It's extremely important because I'm seeing that person once a week. A dietitian is seeing maybe once fortnightly, but that person lived 24-7 in one household with one or two or five different people. And they are part of the team. So mm. you want them on board as well. Yes. And also looking into the future, do you see a role of genetic testing and epigenetics in terms of health? Yeah, that's, that's the future medicine. We are all talking about individ, individual medicine where you can do all sorts of tests and see what uh, interventions are working for that person, what medicines are working for that person, what are not going to work. But this is really like a, a something that's going to happen in the future. I don't know, maybe five years or 10 years. I really don't know when, but I know that scientists are working on that and that, that's going to help us tremendously. Now we are more in the dark because we are approaching everyone the same. We are giving people the same antidepressants. And then we mm. have, yes, who is going to respond to which one? Yes. So, that's why even now 
more than ever before and probably more than ever in the future when we have this um, individual medicine now we need to implement more lifestyle changes because we we know our body the best mm. so we know how we can uh, cater and change all these lifestyle interventions for ourselves best when we have established in the future in five ten years uh, this um this uh, genetic testings and stuff like that, then we will probably be able more to rely on medications more than now. I don't know, do you do you, do you understand what I'm trying to yes. say? Yes, yeah. But then the large component of a lot of the diseases are like lifestyle related, and yeah. it's a lot how about we, things we can do to prevent. Yeah, it, it it comes to that how we live our life. Of course, I'm not ignoring genetics. We are mm. all born set of genes so somebody is more prone to develop certain condition but because of that concept of epigenetic which means how i live my life i can actually literally switch on or switch off certain genes that i'm born with it's even more telling us that how we live our lives we can actually even change influence we can't change but we can influence how these genes that we are born with are expressed or not expressed the power is ours which is a huge power but also huge responsibility (laughs) saying how i wake up in the morning and what i start thinking in my head how i in tune with my own feelings how i listen to them and how i make certain choices and certain movements and certain behavior it's all in my power it's huge (laughs) isn't it (laughs) great thank you so much dr ivana It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you, Marcus, for giving me this opportunity. I love talking about about health. (laughs) So let's be on the mission together to empower our listeners to prevent health problems with lifestyle modification. I I have a huge hope. Thank you. And let's create a community of health professionals who have a similar holistic approach. I'm really counting on you because I think you are the link with your beautiful podcast. Thank you very much for for starting this whole uh, work because I think you can really link people who are thinking similar, who can actually connect and be able to to help patients better. Because if I know where to send, who is the dietitian who is thinking the same way, who is the physio who is thinking the same way, then I'm able to send my patients to uh, very, very, uh, very similar thinking people. So we can all help patients better. So you are amazing. You're doing amazing job. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much, Ivana. I love seeing all your passion and yeah, really great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the day. It's beautiful day outside. So go for a walk. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and to keep up to date with the latest, follow the Health Network podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Please consider leaving us a review and share if you know someone that could benefit from this. Let's unite health professionals and prevent health problems.